My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Well, welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God as we continue through the 26th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to conclude it today. We're going to look at verse 57 through to the end of Matthew 26 in verse 75. And this is where Jesus has found himself all alone. In the previous verse, the disciples have fled. They've left him. So he's been betrayed by Judas. He is... Peter cuts off one of the ears of the of the people that comes to arrest him. Jesus has to heal the man's ear and then say to Peter, don't do that. <laughs> and then tells everybody, listen, I have to, I have to be arrested. I've got to be betrayed. I have to be crucified to fulfill scripture. It's all about scripture. It's all about me being the sacrifice. Now, that's when the disciples just run. They leave. Then you've got Peter. And John, who they, all the, the other nine disciples, they just run and take off. We don't even know where they went. Peter and John ran off to a distance and then snuck behind a tree or a wall or something, looking at a distance, what was going on. And then this is what they're watching from then on in verse 57. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. So he's disguising himself, you see. Um, Now, this was not the first appearance of Jesus before a judge or an official on the night of his betrayal, okay? Uh, On that night and on the night of his crucifixion, on the day of his crucifixion, Jesus stood trial several times before different judges. And Jesus comes to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, and he's led into this home, uh, before then, into the home of Annas. Now, remember, Annas was the high priest who was deposed by Caiaphas. Normally, the high priest wouldn't be replaced until he died, but Annas was still alive. And then he was he was around AD 15 to 16. He was deposed by Caiaphas. And Caiaphas was now the high priest. So now you've got this unusual time in history where there's two high priests and some want to call Annas still the high priest. Some people want to call Caiaphas. So they're like, let's take Jesus to both. Okay. So before he goes to Caiaphas, he goes to Annas's house. He was the ex-high priest. He was the power behind the throne, according to John chapter 18. And the scribes and the elders, they're all assembled. Caiaphas now, by the time they get to Caiaphas' house, he's got all the Sanhedrin ready there to pass judgment on Jesus. And and now, remember, he's been, he's been he was uh, betrayed in the garden the night before. Now this has gone on all night. So now the sun's starting to rise. And the, the Sanhedrin are gathering at an official session. Why? Because they were only allowed to conduct a trial in daylight. They actually weren't allowed to do it at night. And Peter follows at a distance, determined to prove Jesus wrong, that he was going to forsake him. He's still got the words ringing in his, in his head about how Jesus said, you're going to, de- you know, you're going to deny me. So, uh, A nighttime trial was illegal according to the Sanhedrin's own laws and regulations. All criminal trials had to begin and end in the daylight. 
Um, so the fact that they were doing it at night meant that they'd already condemned Jesus. They were just conducting the trial as a matter of course. Okay. And it, there were so many illegalities to do with the trial of Jesus. Um, only decisions made at the official meeting place were valid. But here you've got the trial held in two people's homes. Um, which, by the way, when you come to Jerusalem with me and we go to the Wild Museum, you can see what we think might be the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where this actually would have taken place. Amazing to be there. Uh, also, criminal cases not allowed to be heard during Passover. It's during Passover. Um, only an acquittal could be issued on the day of the trial. Guilty verdicts were actually not allowed to be issued at the end of the trial. There had to be uh, one night between the judgment, oh, sorry, the hearing of the trial and and the determination of guilty in case there was uh, feelings of mercy that could arise. That wasn't that, that didn't happen. Uh, all the evidence had to be guaranteed by two witnesses, everything in a Jewish trial. And they had to be separately examined and they weren't allowed to talk to each other. That didn't happen. False witnesses in Jewish law were punishable by death. Nothing was done to the false witnesses in Jesus' trial. And a trial always began by bringing all the evidence for the innocence of the accused before the evidence of guilt was then offered. Jesus never had that. Those were the Sanhedrin's own rules. And they decided they were going to break every one of their rules. Morgan said this, Neither in the annals of the historian nor in the realm of fiction is there anything that can equal the degradation of this unholy trial, the base devices to find a charge to prefer against the prisoner, the illegal tricks to secure a verdict of guilty which would ensure a death penalty. And the council, what did they do? What did they do? Let's 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 go on and read here. Um, verse fifty nine. Let's go on. Let's go on and read here. Now the chief priests, the elders, and the council sought false testimony testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, "This fellow said." I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. Um, isn't it interesting that they found they couldn't find any false witnesses, so they just made somebody to become a false witness? <laughs> uh, it's a remarkable testimony in the life of integrity of Jesus because he had this incredibly public life and performed such a public ministry that you couldn't find any false testimony against him because there were so many people that saw what he did do. And so this person gets up and says, well, I, he said that he could destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. Uh, he was charged with threatening to destroy the temple, like basically like accusing him of, of, you know, a terrorist act. He's going to blow up the temple. But Jesus said in John chapter 2, I will destroy, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. He was talking about him, himself being destroyed and being raised up in three days. That's what he was talking about, his temple. Okay, so then we move on to verse 62. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. T 
tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to them, it is as you said. Nevertheless, here's that word again, nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus sits silently until he's commanded by the high priest to answer this accusation, are you the Messiah? I'm guessing that the high priest expected some kind of really elaborate defense. Uh, Guzik says this, Jesus kept silent and he answered nothing until it was absolutely necessary in obedience for him to speak. Jesus could have mounted a magnificent defense here, calling forth all the various witnesses to his deity, power and character. The people he taught, the people he healed, the, the dead that, that were that had risen, the blind who were now able to see, and the demons themselves that testified to his deity. But Jesus opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as in Isaiah 53 verse 7, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Spurgeon, his was the silence of patience, not of indifference, but of courage, not of cowardice. So, high priest says, I'm putting you under oath of the living God, are you the Christ? I think it's because Caiaphas could see this trial was not going well. They couldn't find any false witnesses. They had to make some false witnesses. So he confronts Jesus and accuses him more than just what an impartial judge would. And he invokes the name of God in the answer. He says, listen, I'm calling you to uh, an oath. So he's bringing the the trial to a climax here. He's frustrated by Jesus' silence. He's frustrated by what Jesus is saying. So he says, you know what? I'm just going to get straight to the issue. Are you the Messiah or not? Spurgeon said this. It was a tacit confession when Jesus said that he was the Messiah, that Jesus had actually been proved innocent up until then. The high priest would not have needed to draw something out of the accused one if there had been sufficient material against him elsewhere. The trial had been a dead failure up to that point, and he, Caiaphas, knew it, and he was red with rage. Now he attempts to bully the prisoner that he may extract some declaration from him which may save all further trouble of witnesses and end the matter. Jesus says, it is as you said. He doesn't defend himself. Jesus simply testifies of the truth of the matter that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. He says it as briefly and directly as he possibly can. And then he says, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. This is his word of warning to Caiaphas. He warns them that you sit in judgment of me now, but one day I'm going to sit in judgment of you. And that judgment is going to be an eternal judgment, which he says hereafter. Hereafter, you will see. Spurgeon said this, Hereafter, hereafter, oh, when that hereafter comes, how overwhelming it will be to Jesus' foes. Now where is Caiaphas? Will he now endure the Lord to speak? Now, ye priests, lift up your haughty heads. Utter a sentence against him now. There sits your victim upon the clouds of heaven. Say now that he blasphemes or hold up your rent rags and condemn him again. But where is Caiaphas? He hides his guilty head. He is utterly confounded and he begs the mountains to fall upon him.
Let's go into verse 65. Then the high priest tore his clothes saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, he is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face, they beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? You know, I hit you, so tell me who it was. Now I hit you, tell me who it was. Come on, if you're the prophet, tell us who who, who it was that just punched you in the face. Oh, what a horrible moment. The accusation of blasphemy would have been correct if Jesus really wasn't the Messiah, but he actually was who he said he was. It was no crime for him, the Son of God, to say, I am the Son of God. It would have been a crime for somebody else to say it. So that's why they said he's deserving of death, because they didn't believe it. What did they do? They spat in his face. They started beating him. They hit him with their fists. Imagine punching Jesus. Oh, my goodness. It's easy to think that they didn't know who he was, but they would have seen so much. They would have been wrestling inside that he actually was the Messiah. But it's the nature of men to become an enemy of God. Romans 5 says that, Colossians 1. It's the natural position to almost hate God. Spurgeon said that there are some ways that men and women still spit in the face of Jesus. They spit in his face by denying his deity as the Son of God. They spit in his face by denying the gospel message of Jesus Christ. They spit in his face by preferring their own ways to make themselves right, rather than his way to make themselves right. And they spit in his face by actually turning away from Jesus. And as these religious leaders let go of all their hatred and their fear and their anger by punching him and spitting on him. Jesus, and this is remarkable, Jesus takes it. He takes it all. He could have had a legion of angels come down and stop it immediately, but he took it all. He had the most amazing patience and the ability to bear pain because he was doing it for you and for me. Think about that. We always think of the, the pain of the cross, but the but the pain the physical pain starts here, where Jesus is beaten by religious leaders, physically punched in the face. Punch, so who was that who punched you? <laughs> Spitting in his face. That's when it started. It started with the religious leaders in Caiaphas's house. Morgan says this, As one reads this story, one wonders more and more at the greatest miracle of all, which is the patient suffering of Jesus himself. So let's go on and finish off the chapter here. Now, Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee, but he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. 
But again, Peter denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. And then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and he wept bitterly. I bet he did. Uh, Peter wasn't questioned by, you know, by the high priest. He just was questioned by a servant girl out, you know, out the back. And then another girl. And he denies them. He denies Jesus to them. And his, his act of denial grew worse each time. First one, no, I don't know him. Second one, I swear I don't know him. Third time is like he actually swears, not by an oath, but using curse words. Um, now, what did it mean when they said, your speech betrays you? It was because he was from Galilee. Now, the people from Galilee actually spoke with what's called a burr, which is like a trill, a Scottish trill. If you think about somebody from Scotland with a Scottish accent, and they'll say the word girl as girl with a, with a trilling R. That's exactly the same way that people from Galilee used to speak in Jesus' time. So it, it, it was betraying that he was from Galilee. So they're like, well, Jesus is from Galilee. You, you obviously speak like you're from Galilee. Your speech betrays you. You must be one of his. It was actually considered to be an ugly accent, the Galilean accent. In fact, Barclay says this, their accent was so ugly that they were not allowed to pronounce the benediction at a synagogue service. So, Peter denies Jesus, denies Jesus with an oath, denies Jesus and starts using swear words. And then he remembers when he hears the trumpet, Remember, and if you haven't watched my previous video, you need to understand sometimes a rooster is not a rooster. You need to go back and watch that. That's in, in, in the previous video in Matthew and, and podcast in Matthew chapter 26. And he hears the trumpet sound and he remembers the word of Jesus. So he weeps bitterly. He finally remembers. But it's too late now. So all he can do now is, is, is weep. But the wonderful thing about Peter, and I do love this about Peter, because he did so many stupid things, but he always kept coming back to God. He always realized that God's ability to forgive him could never be exhausted. And that's the difference between Judas and Caiaphas and Peter. See, Judas and Judas betrayed Jesus, could have come back, but he didn't, killed himself. Caiaphas. Caiaphas later on took his own life based on these events. Peter just had a backsliding moment, pretty much, and then he had to come back to Jesus. He, we he weeps bitterly. I think this was the beginning of the reality of Peter's ministry. Um, he realised in this moment and this place what Jesus' words were to him. And I imagine he would have maybe thought about the look of compassion when Jesus said to him, you're going to deny me three times. I imagine he's thinking about the compassionate eyes of Jesus. 
and thinking about how Jesus looked at him when he said, he said, listen, I get it. Your, your spirit's willing. It's just your flesh that's weak. See, then we also have an understanding of the eyes of Jesus in this very moment after Peter has denied Jesus three times. Because the Gospel of Luke tells us in Luke chapter 22 that Jesus could actually physically see Peter after he denied him three times. And when the trumpet blew, Jesus turned around and looked at Peter with his eyes. Oh, can you imagine that moment for Peter? He saw the eyes of compassion when Jesus told him at the Last Supper, you're going to deny me. Then he sees the, the eyes of Jesus looking directly at him, knowing he's just denied him three times. And the gift of remembering is what brought Peter to repentance. He remembered his words. Poole said this, our memories serve us very much in the business of repentance. See, you and I must always remember Always remember the words of Jesus. We must always remember what Jesus did. We must remember what Jesus said. And that's what Peter did that was noble. He always remembered. He always remembered. Judas did not remember. Peter did. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus um, when they were up in the north. And... Jesus says to Peter, who do you say that I am? And Jesus says, you are the son of God. And Peter says, on the revelation that you understand that I am the son of God, on that, Peter, I'm going to build my church. Peter remembers all that in this moment. Not that God was going to build his church on Peter himself. He was going to build his church on the revelation that Peter had. Peter would have remembered that revelation as the eyes of Jesus locked with his after he denied him three times, which is why we see Peter so passionately defend Jesus in Acts chapter 2 when he stands up in front of everybody, when they're mocking Jesus and they're mocking the people who are speaking in tongues. And he says, men, hey, let all the men here, let me tell you, do not mock these people. This Jesus of which you speak. And then he goes on, he tells the story of Jesus. Yeah because he remembered. I'm sure the devil wanted him to take his life. I'm sure the devil tried to plant thoughts of suicide into Peter's life. But Jesus spoke words to Peter that Peter remembered. And the words that Jesus spoke were what took precedence in Peter's life over the whispers of the enemy. And that's the secret for you and for me. The devil's going to whisper things to us about past wrongs, things that we've messed up, but we need to remember what Jesus said. Don't listen to the whispers. Listen to the words of Jesus. My observation. Heavenly Father, thank you for this today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we can remember all the things that you've said to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day. Thank you.